Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For some pro wrestling punditry because we're going to slam it into your ear holes today. It is me, your managing editor, Nick Hausman of WrestlingInc.com, bringing you the latest episode of The Winkly. And I am joined here, as I am every Tuesday, by my good friend, Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to The Winkly. You knocked that intro out of the freaking park today, dude. Thank you. Well, I'm in a good mood. This is, believe it or not, Michael, this is our last full week of live Winklies or first-run Winklies uh, for the year. Because next oh. next week we because next week is Christmas is on a Wednesday and it really made no sense to try to get everybody together next week to uh, talk about wrestling because it's all going to be pre taped anyway. So next week uh, I guess I'll announce this right now. You're going to get my personal twelve favorite interviews of 2019. We're going to do four per day. I'll do a little bit of audio to kind of piece them together there like a, a tapestry. So some first run audio. Uh, but all the big hits, you're going to have Ric Flair next week. We'll bring Tony Khan back next week. Who were some of your favorite guests this past year that we've had on the show, Michael? Oh, you knocked it out of the park there with Ric Flair and Tony Khan. Um, you know, you talked to uh, Paul Walter – I always oh, butcher yeah. his name. Paul Walter Hausen? Paul Walter Hauser, yes, from Richard yes. Jewell, which I saw this past yes. weekend. Yeah. And he – yeah, that was that was fantastic as well. Um I don't know. That's probably the cool one for me because I just love the crossover. You, you get a lot of great wrestling guests, but I sure. love the crossover with other people who are like from a, a different place. All right, there you go. So anyway, and if you have thoughts and opinions on what interviews you thought were the best uh, uh, from the Winkley in 2019, feel free to shoot me a tweet. You're, you're, I'm not picking them till Friday is when I'm supposed to send Raj the, the list for what we're doing here. So we got until Friday to pick the top 12 of 2019. For the Winkley. So uh, I like Ray Mysterio. Can I get that on the list? Ray Mysterio. Sure. Ray Mysterio. I want to get Titus O'Neil in there. Really like the Titus one. So, you know, yeah. There you go. Anyway, food for thought. Uh, we got a big show here to get to uh, uh, today, though. Of course, it's Tuesday. We're going to be talking all the, the top pro wrestling news of the past 
five days here. Uh, we've also got some big interviews, uh, which I'll plug here in just a second. But I want to take a moment at the top of the show to send our best out to a WWE NXT UK superstar, Piper Niven, uh, who revealed on Twitter that she is dealing with a bout of Bell's palsy. Of course, Bell's palsy is a condition commonly known for you know weakening your facial muscles that can appear on one side of the face, making it kind of look like your your face is drooping. Uh, the exact cause of it is unknown, but of course, the most notable person in wrestling to uh, have uh, Bell's palsy is, of course, Jim Ross, uh, who reached out to Niven, showing support to her online. So I have a lot of friends that have been through Bell's palsy. They all uh, largely come out on the other side and talk about how it was a battle, but they did come out the other side. So I'm, I'm hoping and wishing the best for Piper Niven here. She's young. I don't know if age ever plays a factor in Bell's palsy, but she is only 28 years old, too. So it is cra- It's crazy to me when I hear these stories, how many of my friends my age or younger uh, tell me, oh, I've, I've dealt with this. It's not that uncommon, I guess. So yeah, I guess so. even when Jim Ross had it, he was pretty when it, I mean, he had it through multiple bouts. But when he did his first one, he was pretty young. So, yeah. And I also want to take a moment here at the top of the show to uh, send some love uh, to my very good friend, Marcus Crane from GCW, Chicago wrestler here. Uh, he had an uh, he's had uh, a, an incident with his head. Uh, I don't know all the details, but he is in the hospital right now. He's had to have some surgery recently, and it looks like the recovery process for Marcus is going to be uh, pretty long. So uh, if you want to go over to GoFundMe.com, uh, his family's with him right now in Vegas where he's getting treatment, uh, but there is going to be a longer road to recovery, so we're trying to help him out uh, the best we can. And I was very pleased. I want to send thank you to Mick Foley, who shared out the GoFundMe for Marcus uh, as a good friend of Marcus and knowing uh, him as well as I do. I know that Mick is a big hero of his and uh, I want to thank Mick for for sharing that out. Uh, all right, well, let's get to it here. We've got some interviews later on in the show. After we talk the news of the day, uh, you're going to get to hear first from the man up top, the executive editor, gracing us here with the final first run weekly of the week. Uh, it is Raj Geary. He's got an interview with my former podcast co-host Eric Bischoff. So you're going to hear from Raj and Eric here later on in the show today, and you're also going to get to hear a very brief interview. Uh, with our own Andy Melnoski chatting with the Brooklyn Brawler. Now, this is also a video interview, and Andy almost didn't give it to me because he's like, it's an all-in-character interview. I don't know <laughs> I don't know if you want this. I don't feel there's any news here. And I was like, no, that's exactly what I want. We'll pair it with something someday. And here we are. We're going to pair this one with the Bischoff interview today. Very exciting. Big day. Start the week off here, Michael. It's always strange those in-character interviews can go one of two ways, but they're almost always entertaining, even if they're not newsworthy. So that's all. And Brooklyn Brawler, dude, yeah. a legend right there. Let's have Fantastic. some fun. Let's have some fun here on Tuesday. And with that, it's time for news you can use, news that'll leave a bruise. And we are going to start off. Michael, this feels like a magic trick. Last Wednesday, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Last Wednesday, of course, we had the latest iteration of the Wednesday Night War and Showbuzz Daily saying that Dynamite on TNT drew 778,000 viewers, while NXT on USA drew, and here's the magic trick, 778,000 viewers. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle! <laughs> it is something. I don't even... Well, I guess we can get into what we think this means here in just a second. So, uh, AEW ranked number 11 in the cable top 150, while NXT ranked number 21, and the top 150 is based off of the 18 to 49 demo, uh, which we'll get to here in just a second. But... And overall viewership, they tied for number 34 in the night because, again, they had the exact same amount of viewers. Uh, Dynamite down 9% from last week when they did 851 uh, and ranked number 8 uh, and were 33 in total viewership. NXT was down 8% from 845 last week, ranked number 12 in top 150 and 34 in overall viewership. So they stayed level there. Uh, AEW drew a, two, a 0.28 rating. 
in the 18 to 49, while NXT drew a .24. So that's why AEW was ranked above NXT in the top 150. They did still manage to top uh, NXT by 17% in that key demo. So, uh, you know, a little ahead, but dude, this is... <laughs> This is a horse race here. This is close. <laughs> the Wednesday Night Wars are back at it. Now, there's somebody out there right now looking at these numbers, hearing them, thinking to themselves, how is that possible? Yes, these numbers are rounded to the 1,000 viewers. So who knows within that 1,000, maybe uh, one or the other show pulled ahead slightly you know, by 50 or 100 viewers. But for all intents and purposes, that's still within the margin of error. And that means, yes, these two shows tied, which I think is an incredible feat. I think we look at where numbers were going for NXT a while back and they were going down and it seems like they've stabilized and this is you know this is one of those weeks where we're in the christmas season december ratings for wrestling do go down um so these are these are not peak numbers no but they're still good numbers but incredible both these shows tied, and I, I love it because i think these shows deserve viewers and they both deserve to be fighting for that spot i want to i want to see both these shows win because they're both so good week in and week out so um it's exciting but uh, you know you got some people uh, i'm sure at both brands right now even more fired up by seeing their competition right there with them and and that's the thing is this is definitely motivating both brands because uh, nxt has announced that they're going to do cole versus finn balor for the title in a not and no commercials, commercial free. That'll start the show. And then AEW's countering that. They've announced you're gonna get the Lucha Brothers versus Kenny Omega and Adam Page, also commercial free on Wednesday night, head to head. So I mean, this is gonna be a very interesting week because I think that last week was really a setup show for both brands for this week. And I think sure. you're gonna see a bump this week. I don't do they both do a million? I don't know, but I think it's gonna be right around there. Um, because you're going to have, you know, you got the women's title match over on NXT as well. Jericho Jungle Boy over on AEW Dynamite. I mean, there's just a lot to, to sink your teeth into, I think, with both shows this week. And I, I, yeah, and then these, this week is, you know, again, in between the beginning of December and Christmas, we saw Raw last night, kind of taking an off night. We'll see the all shows next week, kind of taking an off week. So I think it's going to be a jam-packed show this week, which is awesome for pro wrestling fans who are kind of taking the offseason to go buy presents or whatever it is. But to me, the most interesting thing is we are sitting here in December. NXT has fought its way back into this thing after losing week after week after week to AEW. And we are only a month away from the Royal Rumble, where I guarantee you WWE is going to be promoting all three brands across oh, yeah. all three brands some more. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you said wait. And I was like, oh, no, breaking news. No. So, no. yeah, it's going to be cool, man. It's it's um, I'm excited. I, I honestly think AEW is going to keep putting out their best product. I wonder if there is a ceiling there at this point for that brand. But I think NXT, I think in the new year, they're going to break a million. Um, and I would not be surprised to see them level off above a million. And what do you think here? I mean, it's the last uh, live NXT, I believe, of the year. Next week will be a pre-tape. So uh, is Finn Balor the man? Is that the big is, is that the big moment here? giving him the title, or is Rhea Ripley getting the title uh, from their women's division? Is that the bigger moment they do? Or do they do both? I think they do both. Dude, I mean, I think Finn's in the right spot. Who else can take the title from Adam Cole, right? Who Agreed. else can do it? Agreed. And Rhea Ripley, I mean, there's been all these rumors about Baszler making her way up to the main roster, and Rhea Ripley's ready. She is ready to carry that brand. She has the complete package. I think she'll be main roster sooner than later, but she needs a title with the NXT Women's Championship before getting there. So pull the trigger, make it a newsworthy show. It sends fans into the new year excited about this product. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about what AEW has been able to do here in 2019. Uh, we got a press release from them. 
Uh, late last week, I think this was on Friday, it said in just eight months, AEW produced 16 live events and sold 91,222 tickets with an average of 5,701 tickets per show. With one more show to go on December 18th, AEW expects another 14,081 tickets to be sold, giving them a grand total of 105,303 total tickets sold. Uh, the press release also touted uh, how AEW Dynamite's success of having the biggest network debut on TNT in five years and how they've reached 30 million people in the first two months. So a nice little packaging here of the first-year numbers. You're not even the full first year, the first like couple months' worth uh, as we roll into 2020. 100,000 tickets, does that impress you or not? This is the most impressive thing to me about AEW. We've, we've spent so much time this year talking about TV ratings, but really pay-per-view ratings are have been phenomenal for AEW and I think well and above what most people expected from a new wrestling promotion in an age where pro wrestling is not on pay-per-view nearly as much as it was 20 years ago. So pay-per-view ratings, but then yes, live ticket sales. When you talk about an era where WWE is declining and they put on more shows every month, every week, right? So you're, you're spreading that audience even thinner, but live ticket sales still matter, especially to a younger promotion like this. You know, the thing with Cody tweeting out over the weekend, uh, people yeah. complaining about weak crowds, AEW is pulling in those numbers. Go back to when TNA went on the road and TNA was drawing better TV numbers than what AEW is right now. Sure. But they could not draw a live crowd to save their lives. And I think that's a testament to the strength of this brand. And it's, it's showing how wrestling fans will show up when there's a product they love. Yeah, and, and I'll read you here Cody's tweet that Michael just referenced there. Uh, Cody tweeted out the following response to photos that had been circulating on social media seeming to show a weak crowd draw for last week's Dynamite in Garland, Texas. Uh, he tweeted out, we had over 4,500 folks at 80% utilization, well above market, vibrant crowd throughout. We will definitely be back. Of course, the Curtis Colwell Center where they were at has a capacity of 6,860 uh, seats depending on on the type of event that they're doing. Um, I saw the photos that were going around, one with MJF in the microphone, and there was like a whole row of empty seats there. Um, I, it should be noticed, like, you know, they're on the hard cam side, uh, they will put as many people as they can. In the actual production area, there's like usually, you know, even at WWE shows, like two or three sections that are usually just press, family, friends kind of deal sitting there. Um, so I wasn't too surprised. I think the camera angle may have been a little deceptive there. Uh, but I don't know, man. It does. It, it feels a little bit to me like there are some fans that want to hurt AEW and take evidence and skew it. Can you believe that? Does that sound about right? <laughs> no, yeah. not pro wrestling fans. I know it seems that way because I, I I wrote a tweet the other day where I was like, I don't I don't get the whole you can't choose sides things. That's the most fun of it. I do think there is something to be said like, hey, just don't be a dick, right? Like you could cheer on without tearing right. down. You know, you want the business to succeed as a whole. I mean, I pick sides every week. Some weeks I love NXT and I'm like, AEW. Ah, sorry, guys. I'm with an. And then some weeks I'm pro AEW. I have a WWE hat and an AEW hat I literally wear depending on the week. But what's interesting is those fans who feel like you do have to pick sides. But it also does show here AEW and WWE, they've kind of taken different approaches to how they're making money and how they're getting that brand out there, right? You can put something under that WWE brand and it is pop culture enough that people know what's going on. And they're making money off of TV deals. They're making money off of merch. They're making money off of X, Y, and Z that they cross partnerships, right? And while AEW is doing some of that, AEW is making all their money in things like live events. They're making more money off of those, off of traditional pay-per-views and kind of that more authentic, I'm gonna get my fans to give me money directly way. 
And I think that's awesome. And I think it's another way to do business that other independents like NWA should take notice of, right? You don't have to be the big brand. You can still come in there and make money by doing your thing the right way, right? TNA's big issue in the day, they had bad business practices. And I think it seems like AEW's managed to avoid that. So yeah, this is a personal attack when you go after AEW and say something like, oh, your attendance is terrible because that's kind of what their bread and butter is. So I'm glad to see Cody Rhodes here going out there and defending what they're doing. Um, and, uh, there's one more AEW note I've got here. It's, uh, from Conan's keeping it 100 podcast. He had AEW La Champion, Chris Jericho on and Jericho commented on, uh, the tag team rules issue that AEW seems to have about how people say there are no rules in their tag team matches. Uh, he said, I called a team meeting. The lack of tags and normal tag team wrestling psychology drove me nuts. It's sort of making excuses for the Lucha brothers because tagging in and out, they're lazy. They don't care. They walk in and out whenever they want, and it's not right. They would make excuses, when, and they would say, oh, it's Lucha Libre style. That's funny. I worked in Mexico for two years. And guess, how many, uh, guess how you make a tag in Lucha Libre. You stand in a corner, and you wait for a guy to come over and touch you, and then you walk in. I called a meeting for the whole crew, and I said, you're burying the ref. If you don't have any rules, you don't get any heat, and it's killing our show because our honeymoon period is over, and now people are watching us, and they're being confused by the lack of rules. Once we had a couple talks with them, guess what they started doing? They started tagging. Maybe it was a habit, or maybe nobody told them. You have a whole locker room of guys that have just, wa- that have just worked indies their whole career, and they don't know little things. Chris Jericho stepping up. I mean, obviously, I guess the locker room leader by de facto here. Who do you, who else? But I'm glad to hear he took this initiative. This stuff matters. I mean, Agreed. we think about it as we're watching entertainment, but it should be treated like a real sport. The rules need to be respected because it does make the audience buy in more. CM Punk talked about this on Backstage a couple weeks ago. He said, fans want believability. It's got to seem real, and that's how you get them bought in. And I think this is part of that. And Chris Jericho here, locker room leader by de facto, but he's also bringing in that wide range of experience. He said, listen, I worked in Lucha so he can shoot down those arguments. But more importantly, he's seen behind the scenes how a company like WWE does. Now, they got a lot of crazy shit going on over there, right? Week in and week out. But rules become a big deal. We talked about how Vince McMahon has called people out before. Referees for not doing the three counts and whatever. So... I think it's great to hear him holding that company accountable because when you pull all these indie guys together, they likely haven't had to be under that same structure, and it does make for a better, more consistent product. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move back over here to WWE. Uh, we'll talk TLC. We'll start with that. Uh, Post Wrestling uh, reporting that Vince McMahon and Triple H reportedly missed Sunday's WWE TLC pay-per-view. They did check in with the WWE officials in charge at the Target Center in Minneapolis before the show. Uh, there's also no word on uh, yet on who ran the show, but it's likely that they had uh, contact with Vince or Triple H. We'll get to that here in just a second. Uh, Rusty Observer reporting that Raw Executive Director Paul Heyman led the red brand side of things, including the women's TLC main event, while Bruce Pritchard was in charge of the SmackDown matches, which makes sense because they're the executive directors of both their <laughs> shows. Um, Vince and Triple H sat in on the production meeting via conference call, and the show was put together the way Vince wanted it, but they were not in Minneapolis yesterday. It was noted that it is pretty much universally agreed that last night's or Sunday night's pay-per-view from the Target Center in Minneapolis was handled poorly. Apparently, in regards to the injury to WWE Women's Tag Team Champion Kari Sane, there's a feeling that a doctor should have been sent out during the main event with the power to stop the match if needed, or they could have gone right to the finish or taken Sane to the back with Asuka left to work a handicap match 
when it was apparent that Sane was knocked out. The main issue with bringing Sane out of the match was the direction change, uh, like that was uh, uh, that a direction change like that was that they weren't doing a title change and Oscar defeating both Charlotte and Becky by herself would have required many changes in plans. Here, I'll jump real quickly over here to what the Observer is saying. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just read the, the pro wrestling sheet, actually, report. That's the most current one about what they're saying about Kari. Uh, they're saying uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Champion Kari Sane currently not cleared to wrestle. She was knocked out during the first few minutes of the match. There's no solid word yet on when she was put out, but that's why she appeared to be out on her feet at various points in the match. No word yet on how long Sane will be out of action, but she will be evaluated by WWE. But she was evaluated by a WWE doctor after TLC, and it was decided that she would be pulled from the ring for now. She has since given a thumbs up on Twitter uh, and has been telling people she's okay, according to the Observer. So a lot to take in here. Different people running the show. No Vincent Triple H on site. This uh, medical issue seemed to have been overlooked. I, I'm at least happy to hear this report say that they the higher-ups think it was handled poorly because I couldn't agree more. I'm watching Kari Sane here after she took that spear from Charlotte and dropped, like, a sack of potatoes, and then Charlotte had to, like, muscle her up to that power bomb. and I'm watching this thinking to myself, this is either the best, like, fighting off of a power bomb I've ever seen or very, very dangerous. And I think it was very dangerous. Uh, now, that yeah. have, now that we all have hindsight, I think we can all agree with that. Very scary way to end the show. I was the, the, uncomfortable. The announce team did a great job at that moment, too, of playing it off as though she was trying. They said, man, look at her fighting her way into it. And I was like you. I was like, huh, that that will seem really kind of realistic. But when she nailed that power bomb and, and Carrie Sane just dropped, I mean, it just, yeah, the spear, all of that stuff did not look good on Sunday night. And there was nothing more important than taking care of your talent. And it's a huge miss for a company like WWE, Agreed. right? Can you imagine if this was the NFL and they had any player, right? Not somebody who's involved in a tables, ladders, and chairs match who is being dropped on their head through through literally steel ladders or whatever, right? And through through tables. If the NFL player let a player go in, or if the, if the NFL let a player go in after getting a concussion and did not pull them out, it would be all over ESPN the next day. That team would be in so much trouble, right? And so it shows that there are still some ways WWE needs to sew up their practices. And I don't necessarily blame it on Vince McMahon and Triple H not being there because there are lots of people in power who can make that charge. It was simply an oversight for whatever reason. Okay, the way that this reads to me is that in the process of this going on, they knew she was concussed, but decided to keep her out there because it would make it easier for them to tell their story. And Paul, (laughs) I mean, that's the way this reads, right? And then, then you say, okay, well, who would be the person who's sitting there working this out? It sounds like that's Paul Heyman, right? And now, like, I don't want to cast aspersions here or anything, and Paul's always been cool to me. But, like, he ran ECW, which was a car wreck for a lot of guys' bodies, you know? So, I mean, I think the logic, if that was the logic there, may be a little dated and worth keeping in mind going forward with Paul, who's very creative and fully capable, but maybe needs somebody sitting by his side that can help steer that part of the compass a little bit better, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, yeah, because his mindset is still – a lot of these guys have been around the business so long, you don't think – it's like football players, right? You still have football players saying, well, I'm tough, and I'm going to go out there and do it. Daniel Bryan talked about wrestling and going out there no matter what and not telling trainers because he was tough and he wanted to keep doing what he's doing, right? Yeah. It's not just Paul Heyman here. Lots of people have it, but somebody needs to be responsible for overriding those decisions. Yeah, there's got to be a doctor. A doctor that goes above the creative people where it's like – you don't even have these conversations. I'm sorry, you right. just shouldn't even be having them if you know somebody is that seriously injured. 
And if the issue is that you can't figure out a change in direction for this match, I get it. The finish was planned. It doesn't make any sense for Asuka to win in a handicap match, even though Charlotte literally did that a week ago against these two, right? So whatever. But if you can't have somebody send out a doctor, take five minutes to get the talent out of there safely, stop the match. And while that match is stopped, somebody creatively on the fly says, let's get to this finish, have the ref communicate it. Or just if cancel, you can't do just, that, what what's the deal? <laughs> I think you, I mean, in that situation, I would have just called the match. My gut would have been to just end the match via, because Kari Sane is obviously uh, incapable of continuing on with the bout, right? Um, and I don't know where you go. Do you, do you make it a singles match out? Could Charlotte and Asuka put something together here? You know, I, I don't really know. But I think that the talent safety has to come first. And, like, me visibly, like, I've had concussions in wrestling, and, like, I know what that experience is like, and watching the kind of slow motion punches and the kind of like weird fall downs where you're trying to roll. And then I see Becky Lynch running at her with a chair and I'm like, what is happening? What is happening right now? And like the talent, Charlotte and Becky, and I saw the tweets, everything. They're all great. And I know they all love each other. You're a warrior, all that great stuff. The talent should not be in a position to be calling balls and strikes there. How I hit them, how I don't. That is, that should be on somebody else and not be putting other talent in that position period right right exactly and then to me it's it's you make the call in the back and maybe you end it maybe you just have a quick finish right there's a way to quickly finish it without involving any more match time but that i mean that powerbomb spot i go back to it it looked like she was going to be dropped on her head and that's way too dangerous you got to do something there so some uh, dropped ball here now again I blame it on a lot of people. This can't just rest on Vincent Man and Triple H's shoulder because they can't be everywhere doing everything, nor should they be. They weren't there. That's, right. And that's the thing is like, Vince is like, God damn it. This is why I never leave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Meanwhile, is, he's bringing back the XFL where it's going to be, you know, all no, no holds barred. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, leather helmets. Uh, <laughs> we're going back. He's like, Mr. He's fully Mr. Burns now. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Remember when we had locker room or we had cameras in the locker rooms at halftime for the cheerleaders? Let's do that again. Oh man, I just watched Homer at the Bat over the weekend, one of the greatest Simpsons episodes of all yes. time. Yes. Give me baseball players, Smithers. Living <laughs> baseball players. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh. so anyway, uh, that's the break. And by the way, for those that are wondering, how did Kari Sane uh, get this concussion? Uh, the observer reporting that it is speculated that she may have suffered the injury when she was hit in the head as Flair. Uh, was throwing monitors off the table at ringside. That moment where Charlotte and Becky were chucking stuff off the the, the table there, maybe an errant monitor to the head, which which sounds about right because I couldn't, I didn't even notice it happened. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure it out too, and I knew it happened before the powerbomb spot. But um, yeah. there's so these these cards are crazy, dude. We're talking about some more injuries here. These TLC cards make me so nervous and so uncomfortable because so many there were multiple spots. The tag match I think had one of them where somebody fell off. Um, the ladder at one point. Oh, Kofi's no, his biggie's leg got tangled up as the ladder was falling. There's just so many numerous like ah, these just oh. Well, oof, while thinking. we're talking while we're talking injuries and stuff, let's just throw in the observers report that it looked like Alistair Black suffered a broken nose in his match with Buddy Murphy, but apparently he's fine. He's cleared to wrestle. What a <laughs> I mean, dude, that was a great match, only heightened by the fact that I'm like watching it like this man can only breathe out of his mouth right now. You know, yeah. like. That's very difficult to go at that kind of level with that kind of cardio condition and slow it down and still put in that best finish of the year for sure. That uh, that black mass, uh, that black mass was it was beautiful. 
Yeah, it was it was awesome. And, and Alistair Black, we all associate him with being kind of a big power dude, but dude has cardio, dude has speed. And I think he had a great match here with Buddy Murphy, right? Nobody's going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks because this, this feud's been given some time, but it still feels very much like an undercard feud. Yeah. I'm glad the rumors are that it might play out some more in the near future, but it's doing great for both men. Yeah. Black has not found that spot yet on the main roster to kind of take him a new place. Buddy Murphy has been overlooked for years. And I love this. The crowd didn't totally get into it Sunday from where I was sitting right here at home, but they gave them time to work. I love everything about it. And that finish was amazing. Yeah. Um, And we saw Bray Wyatt compete as Bray Wyatt, actual Bray Wyatt. He defeated the Miz Uh, after the match. uh, Daniel Bryan returned. He attacked Wyatt. He's no longer got his long hair after Bray Wyatt, who I guess is some kind of, haircutting savant right like those people that, <laughs> that like light your hair on fire You're like oh wow how did i get such a great hair he just ripped his hair out it's beautiful haircut that daniel bryan got here a fan tweeted about how it looks like the miz uh stole his jacket from jericho also during this bout and jericho responded well he stole everything else so whatever so anyway the bigger story here daniel bryan's return bray wyatt competing as himself we'll take it in two chunks uh, i really liked bray wyatt as himself as a total weirdo just wrestling, but did not seem the, the crowd. I don't knew. I don't think they really knew how to respond to him. Yeah, the, the crowd wasn't totally bought in, but him acting like weak and vulnerable as the Miz kicked him, I thought was just an amazing way to play that character differently. And it gives him more to do than just being completely undefeatable, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really liked his presentation of just Bray Wyatt, the man wrestler. Um, right. And again, I, I do want to talk about this Miz comment, though. Can we chat about sure, that for a sure, second? Sure, sure, Yeah, go ahead. Don't you think it's weird for Jericho to call out somebody else for taking the classic I'm better than you heel gimmick when there were plenty of wrestlers who did that way before Jericho ever thought about it? I'm just, I, you know, I think these guys are in on it. I think Miz yeah. and Jericho are just lifers just messing with each other, you know? So anyway, Miz it was weird to see Miz wearing that jacket when he was like, I've been focused on nothing but taking care of my family. And yet he's still like perfectly groomed, like bring him out in a t-shirt and some damn jeans. Let's uh, see him like just be raw Miz for a while. Right, Haggard, a uh, Cleveland Miz. <laughs> I want to see Cleveland yes. Miz. I like that. That's really good. Um, and then yeah, Daniel Bryan's back now. He attacked Wyatt. He's off the chain again. It's like I don't know what it was because like he ha- he did the the foot stomp kick thing, and the and really had to get the kind of work the crowd into that yes chant there. I thought it was I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good return, but I don't know what it was. The crowd just didn't seem there for them with this stuff. I just don't think anybody knows what to make of it. You know, he talked about the haircut. Like, why? <laughs> he got drug under the wing. His hair is all new. He comes out in a hood. And I think the crowd just doesn't know Bray Wyatt, the non-fiend, Daniel Bryan, the non-long-haired yes dude. Like, what are we... There's been this storyline. has got some good stuff in it, but it's been very convoluted to get here. And I think that's just taken away from the moment of Daniel Bryan coming back like he did on Sunday. Yeah. So, uh, watch and see. I, th- I Look, Daniel Bryan's the best storyteller in WWE, in my opinion, I have no doubt that him and, and Wyatt will will get this going here. But it, it, you're right; it's just too many things happening all at once, too many changes. Yeah. Then Daniel Bryan, it seems like rumor had it that he was one of the ones pushing for let's keep this going, let's not make the TLC match the match, let's let it go another month. And I think that's the right call because giving them some time in between makes us feel bigger than what it is, right? So yeah. that's right. But yeah, get the Miz out of there. I like the Miz. This is not his story anymore. Uh, Well, rest in peace to the 17-year streak that John Cena held for competing on at least one WWE pay-per-view each year for the past 17 years. Of course, he appeared at WrestleMania as the Doctor of Thugonomics, but didn't have a match. 
So this is the first time in 17 years John Cena hasn't had a match on WWE pay-per-view within a calendar year. Uh, he got wind of this statistic. He tweeted out before TLC, keep calm and keep the streak going, which made people think, well, maybe we're going to see John Cena on this show. And that did not happen. <laughs> did not happen. You know, he, he defined, John Cena, i got to give him credit, he defines, I'm never leaving you guys very differently than I do. In fact, his definition seems to jive a lot more with how The Rock defined, <laughs> I'm home and never leaving again. He's rock status now, man. <laughs> you know, him, Dave Batista. you know, there's like a there's like the Rolodex, and there's the back part of the Rolodex that you can only go to so often. That's them. Uh, and let's talk about the revival here real quick. Well, first of all, before TLC, this video went viral online of Dash Wilder falling over during the Revival's entrance on SmackDown. Did you catch this one? Yes, yes. It's very funny. <laughs> it is. And it works for these guys. What a good, you know, these guys are heels. I watched it, though, and I was like, I'm like, good. Well, first of all, he fell in a way that didn't he didn't hurt himself, right? Because, right. like, those kind of falls where you don't see, know them coming, it's the easiest way to get hurt. But second of all, I was like, oh, man, is he going to be like Vince is like, Vince thought it was hilarious. This is your <laughs> This is your thing now. You're going to fall down a lot. You're going to trip. It's the Titus O'Neil story all over again, right? Yeah, dude. I was like, I was like, oh, God. They're going to play this up. They're going to drill this into the ground. This man. Is and gonna... the next week, you'll fall when you're on the top rope. We'll call and you. Next week. We'll call you Funny Feet Wilder. <laughs> Dumb. All right. Well, anyway. Don't the... say it. It's going to come into. It's going to come real now. What I was thinking when I watched it. Anyway, Scott Dawson, Dash Wilder, The Revival. They interviewed. They interrupted Booker T on the kickoff panel before uh, WWE TLC. Uh, they got in Booker's face. They name dropped his brother Stevie, calling them out to see if they want to try and prove who's the best tag team. Uh, they went on with several Harlem Heat taunts, adding they deserve to have their Hall of Fame rings. The segment ended after The Revival told Booker to come see the boys if Harlem Heat want to step up. There is now speculation we could get a Revival versus Harlem Heat match, but it has not been announced. Stevie Ray, Booker T's brother, other half of uh, Harlem Heat, he tweeted out, hey, if the Revival wants some, it's very easy for you to get some basic, to get some because Harlem Heat is not hard to find. You know, there's like a generation of listeners and watchers right now. Like, who's Harlem Heat? Harlem Heat, man. Dude, I, I, they're Houston. I'm Houston. I grew up a huge Harlem Heat fan. I would absolutely love that. Stevie Ray can still go, man. He's a big dude. He's in good shape. Same with Booker. Bring it. Yeah, it's a testament to Booker T and how much he did after Harlem Heat about how great he was um, and how long his career lasted, right? But Harlem Heat is a classic tag team. They mean something to the business. And I love these kinds of mix of styles here, right? And it's always going to be guys like, uh, you know, um, the Revival, the Heels calling out these classic good guys. It could be a fun Royal Rumble match, right? Sure. Well, and here's the thing is Harlem Heat, WWE Hall of Famers, correct? Sure. I don't think they ever had a match in WWE. That's I don't think so. Did did Stevie Ray ever wrestle in WWE? I don't believe so. I don't think so. And it may be a thing for him where it kind of maybe bugs him a little bit that he's sitting there with this WWE Hall of Fame ring. (laughs) You know, I never really wrestled for you guys. You know, so (laughs) he's going to earn it by beating the revival. Well, look, fine. What or losing to them? Put him over. That's the better thing to do in your position. I would their position. I would think. But uh, I could see that, like, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, why would we be doing this? And I was like, maybe it's as simple as something like that, you know? I don't know. Um, Then we'll jump over here to Raw last night. Uh, It was decided on Raw last night that Seth Rollins 
will take on Rey Mysterio for the U.S. title next week on the Christmas edition of Raw. It should be noted that there was a gauntlet match, a very long gauntlet match on Raw, uh, to determine who was going to face Rey Mysterio for that title. Uh, Seth Rollins was not involved in that gauntlet match. Uh, Andrade ended that gauntlet match by laying out Umberto on the outside of the ring and walking out. Uh, It was a no contest. So I saw a lot of people complain about the way the gauntlet match finished. I really don't have any complaints because I think Seth Rollins versus Ray will be good. I like the work that Seth is doing with AOP. I can see Andrade and Umberto coming out to kind of like even the odds for Ray, making it a six man. I haven't read the spoilers, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then I could also see this leading to a match where it's Ray Mysterio versus Andrade versus Umberto for the title. And that is very exciting for me. So did you get a did you get a winner in the gauntlet match? No. What you got instead was a lot of fun, compelling pro wrestling storylines that are going to make the matches you do see next mean more. And that was just my opinion. Also, you one-upped instead of getting Umberto or you know whoever versus Rey Mysterio, you get Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio, which will be a great match. So you trade up. And I, I understand it, right? Pro wrestling purists want to see finishes. Sometimes the best story is to not have a finish because it does piss off the fans. And it makes it, it gives a guy like Andrade more heat for denying the fans that finished in this case. I, I think it's great storytelling. You offered the fans a better substitute, so I buy it. And Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins, I'm looking forward to that. And and also Andrade Umberto. This feud has developed into something that I don't think WWE knew what to do with Umberto at first, but um, putting it with Andrade has gotten both men to a different space. Yeah. Uh, and also on Raw last night, we saw the debut of Diana Perrazzo, the virtuoso. Uh, she debuted losing to Asuka, but I did a double take. Very, very happy to see her in this position. I was happy when she got signed. She's been a breakout, wonderful addition to every roster she's been a part of before WWE. So good for her, and I'm, I'm happy to see her in the mix, especially in a match against Asuka. Yeah, she lost, but also I'm happy with what they did with Asuka here. Asuka's been a tag team wrestler for about a year. People forget a year ago she won that triple threat TLC match for the Women's SmackDown Women's Championship. That's right, a Women's SmackDown title headlined a WWE pay-per-view in the not-too-distant past. So I'm glad to see Asuka get a, a win here, a convincing win, because I think this tag team stuff is great. I would love to see them do more with her as a singles wrestler in the women's division. And you got to think now, I mean, it's like her tag team partner got taken out in a way that she probably would not be. I mean, like, I don't, again, I don't want to get in anybody's heads and stuff, but if I'm inside that and I see somebody out like that and they're not getting treatment, you know, I I would be asking questions. But anyway, a decisive <laughs> win for Asuka, a decisive win for Asuka here. And uh, yeah, you know, rebounding here pretty quickly out of that tag team into a singles competitor again. And I wonder... You know, was it, was there, you know, maybe they would have kept her off TV if they thought Kari Sane was coming back soon. But if they don't think that's the case, maybe they, that's why they get her back into singles action. I don't know. I'm maybe doing 3D chess in my brain, you know? Yeah, they're probably thinking over it more than they are right now. But either way, getting her out there, made, she looked good last night, as did Perrazzo, So Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the Observer here has a report about the Royal Rumble coming up. Uh, they're saying that WWE is making plans for the 2020 Royal Rumble matches for the men's and women's divisions, and the WWE NX superstars will be factored into those plans. The current plan is for the 30-man and 30-woman matches for them to have 10 Raw superstars, 10 SmackDown superstars, and 10 NXT superstars. The 2019 Royal Rumble pay-per-view featured a half dozen NXT superstars in the 30-woman match and just three NXT superstars in the 30-man match. So a big departure from last year. Uh, obviously, NXT is in, in a much different position here. And I don't know, man. Tommaso Ciampa winning the Rumble 
uh, making the march to WrestleMania to take back Goldie. He's kind of been on the bubble with the NXT booking, you know, taking a backseat for the moment. Him and Finn Balor. I don't know. I, I could I could totally see an NXT superstar winning the, the match. So would they have the NXT championship match on Mania proper or are they still do it at TakeOver that weekend? I think it's going to be on Mania proper. I think that they're doing a Worlds Collide. No, wait. They're doing a TakeOver thing Mania weekend. I think that I'm pretty sure. Pretty that's sure. Right. Pretty yeah. sure that's true. Yes, I think you're right. Okay, so maybe maybe on the take maybe I don't know. I have no but idea. You, I but know. you did a takeover the same weekend as Survivor Series, but still saved your championship match for the pay per view proper. So sure, sure, yeah, could you, be like that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you maybe you headline with a WWE NXT UK championship match you know make that the centerpiece for the, yeah. the takeover. i think it's still fascinating that they are putting so much into these takeover events i'm glad i love takeover i'm glad they haven't replaced them yet it's just strange that you're keeping those out there while everybody else has to do the same kind of combined card well and it's weird too because i remember back on the triple h media call like one or two takeovers ago he said that these worlds collide events are gonna be i i, I maybe i read this wrong or heard this wrong but like i i'm pretty sure he said something about how the worlds collides events were going to start to take the spot of those takeover cards, because mm. then you can bring in like 205 Live and NXT UK and NXT and make them more shows and then bring your your bring your NXT mat title matches over to, to pay-per-views and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe I'm... Well, you could still do that with TakeOver, I guess, though, right? You could still do NXT UK and 205 Live and everything and save the big one for the, the main card. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know, but I don't know. We'll see. I like it. It's all good. It's wrestling like, is great. I have Love a lot. It. We have a lot of questions. That's usually good pro wrestling. It keeps you on the hook. <laughs> um, Merry Christmas. Merry yes. Merry Christmas. Here's a box of questions. Um, <laughs> Primera Ora sat down with Primo Cologne, who was recently suspended by WWE for 30 days, citing a WWE wellness policy violation. Here's what Primo had to say. He said, "I was not on the road. I was not scheduled for any event in the near future. I am in Puerto Rico." When they call me suddenly, not to use me, but to travel for a doping test. I was ready to do it, but I told them I was in Puerto Rico and that I was willing to go to a place that they chose to test me without any problem. I was not going to pay for a trip to just get tested for doping. Then I didn't hear anything from the company about it, and I thought they were going to call me when they found a place to do the test. Almost two months pass, I get this letter that I am suspended, according to them, because I refused to take the test, and that is not correct. They took it as I was out of the country and unavailable, but I was available. I don't want them to say that I failed to, to test positive because that is totally false and incorrect. They usually do their doping tests at events. Someone appears to collect the urine of fighters, employees, referees to do the evaluation once a month. I was in Puerto Rico. I had to clarify it because my reputation is worth more than a check. I have a contract with WWE until October 2020. They can call me and use me if they want. If they don't want to use me, they still have to pay me. They are using new talent, and so is the rest of the industry. So Primo Cologne here saying... I'm getting thrown under the bus here. I, I gave you guys a chance to test me. I said find a testing facility around me that I could travel to without having to buy a ticket to go do this doping test. What do you think here? Thumbs up, thumbs down on this excuse, Michael. I, I get where he's coming from, right? And it almost feels like they were, I mean, number one, I don't know why, unless this was just a random test, why would they put so much focus on him to get him drug tested at this point? Um, but I, I can see where he's coming from. And they've not been using him. Why does it really matter at this point? You know, the funny thing is, talk about Bobby Roode, too, the other guy who was suspended as part of this test. And we had Matt Morgan on the SmackDown postgame show talking about this exact issue. And he used to work with Bobby down in TNA. And he said, Bobby Roode got popped. Bobby never did anything wrong. And so... 
you just I, I wonder sometimes I wish WWE would be more open about its wellness. They have their line that they their corporate line they say, but I wish they'd be more open about how this wellness policy works in practice because at times it does feel a little bit mysterious and a little bit heavy handed. Isn't there like at a certain point uh, they have to turn over like what the the reason was for it? Like, isn't it after a certain amount of months or something like that? Or am I making that up in my head? I, I don't know. I, it could be. I don't. I'm not saying no, but I don't remember hearing that. All right. Anyway, I'll look into it. Uh, Kofi. But Kings, like, there are guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have questions about guys like Brock Lesnar, right? Like, how does he get tested? How does he fit into this? With yeah. those kind of holes in logic and understanding, it creates gaps. And I don't believe the wellness policy is as productive as it should be because there are so many things. Like, well, how do these guys get treated? What's the actual? Do they have to reveal this to the, the media? Right? Yeah, I agreed, 100. percent So we'll see in time. Maybe that'll change. Um, I would I would think you would need some kind of outside regulators to to make them change the way they're doing it currently, you know. And I do wonder sometimes if it's like, uh, well, we'll wait to release these at a time when it could help us in other ways, you know. Maybe there's different stories and things that this could counter. So who knows? Yes, Kofi. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about like other places I've worked, and I know that random drug tests really are up to the employer. I don't know about all the federal regulations about that, right? But I mean, an employer at, at will state or contract status, they can pretty much release you for almost anything, right? Um, and and they could say we don't want you to. Some places wouldn't care if you smoked marijuana. Some places do, right? That's kind of really up to the employer and the company they go for to do the drug test. It's just whoever they hire. Uh, Kofi Kingston, he revealed on the New Day's Feel the Power podcast that he has just signed with WWE for another five years. He did also go into talk at length, and you can go read the transcription up on the site, about how he uh, his body is beat up. He's going to have to be more judicious with what he does in the ring. He tells this story about, like, having difficulty kicking a ball around the yard with his son when they're, like, playing together. It was, like, kind of oh. sad. It was kind of sad. I read the whole thing. Uh, so, anyway, good for Kofi here, though. And he... If, if that is the case where he's just beat up now and he's just going to either do more talking or be more of a personality and or whatever he's going to do to change up his style to be able to keep it going for their five years, I think it was, all things considered, a very poignant, appropriate time for him to get the meaningful world title match or run that he did. And I'm sure that played a lot into him sticking around for another five years knowing he has a little cachet now. Sure, and he's only really worked. He did a few independent things before WWE, right. but he's only really worked in WWE for his entire career. By the time he gets done with this contract, he'll be, what, 44? Something like that. Um, which is, so it's crazy to me to think about this guy having been around this long. And uh, we, we go back to that Brock Lesnar loss, and I was one of the first ones to say this takes away from what he accomplished. But here I am, the end of 2019, and I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the amazing WrestleMania moment that Kofi Kingston had mm -hmm. and what his mm -hmm. uh, his incredible title, his defense after defense after defense, um, his run, what that meant to him and to the company and to longtime fans. And I'm, I'm glad he's sticking with a place that he is very, very obvious at home with. Yes, absolutely. They've done, it sounds by all accounts that WWE has done right by these guys and they love what they're doing. So uh, good for him. Good for everybody. Uh, at a WWE live event last Thursday in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Drake Maverick managed King Corbin in his match against Roman Reigns. Now the Observer reporting, the plan is indeed to have Maverick eventually become Corbin's manager. Although WWE has yet to play this out on TV. Now there was a SmackDown segment two weeks ago where a person under the ring grabbed Reigns' foot shortly before Corbin and Ziggler attacked Roman Reigns, handcuffed him to the ring, and poured dog food over his head. Now, WWE hasn't addressed who it was that grabbed the foot of Reigns yet, but uh, it could be Maverick here. And uh, look, uh, this is this is his wheelhouse. This is where Drake Maverick, where Sp Rockstar Spud, or whatever you want to call him, 
is it, this is his game. He was he did this with uh, Dixie Carter and TNA and was gold in this role. I would love him to be by Baron Corbin's side. Yeah, I thought about you as soon as this rumor was going around. It was that this is Nick's going to love this, of right? Of course. Great. Yes. Uh, we had other plans for him. I think you and I did about sending him back to NXT and repackaging a couple people. But I, I really dig this. And, yeah. and what I, I think is cool, too. Corbin's a great talker. He doesn't necessarily need a manager. He needs less scripting. They need to let him just talk down to other people because it comes natural to him, it seems like. But a mouthpiece like this in Corbin's court, right, along with Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, it kind of gives you a well-rounded heel faction that we haven't seen in a while, and I think it does elevate Corbin. It makes him feel more important. I want I want Ziggler to have some kind of, like, modified modern knight-type outfit. Like, I really <laughs> want him to lean into it. Like, I want, I want Drake Maverick coming out with, like, scrolls, right, <laughs> and, like, announcements and stuff, and, like, playing the big you know, trumpet thing or whatever, you know? I want all of that. I want to feel like I'm in a medieval times with these people. You weren't into Dolph Ziggler's Unabomber outfit this past weekend? Uh, no. <laughs> he had the hat, the glasses. <laughs> I want more medieval times. I want hawks flying over the audience, grabbing rings. Anyway. <laughs> Comic- a man's like, that's some good. It is. Anyway, it is. It's good. Go, go <laughs> patronize your, go patronize patronage. Go show patronage. I'm blowing this. To your Somebody's local... like, they're asking for a Patreon now? What? <laughs> Go subscribe to the Patreon of your local Medieval Times. <laughs> Support them. It's a great... I love Medieval Times. Please sponsor the show and send me more often to Medieval Times. We got Baron Corbin showing up at Renaissance Fairs, carrying around a WWE uh, Championship, right? <laughs> who don't like a Renaissance Fair? All right. Anyway, we're, we're running a little long. I got to tell you, oh, you know, the rules thing. I went to a Renaissance Fair one time. Okay. Guy, they did, the, they did the whole jousting thing, right? The one night gets knocked over. This was like 99, 2000. The other night gets off and literally gives the people's elbow to the guy on the ground. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. All right, comicbook.com reporting Lana has claimed that she has received death threats due to her storyline with Rusev and Lashley. She uh, says, I personally have received a lot of death threats. I've gotten calls from, like, WWE and the FBI, people actually threatening WWE, having death threats on me, and the FBI has had to call me and protect me, and I get death threats on my comments on Instagram, on Twitter. I mean, people are bullies. I mean, today I opened my email account, and I had this death threat on my email. But it was just like the names that people call are just – it's just appalling. It's absolutely appalling, says Lana here. I, I unfortunately believe this. Her and Sergeant Slaughter burning the American flag. Heat. Heat. I will say in the 80s, this is considered a good day at the office, right? You're yeah. a true blue heel here. And, and man, you know what? Maybe it's not true. Maybe she's just making it up. That's what I love about Lana right now. I don't know. It's all... She can be the victim. It's amazing. Are you enjoying what they did and never the, the tables match and then the he proposed to her on Raw? Are you digging it? to grabbing you? <laughs> I don't know if I would. Digging it's probably a little bit too strong here. Um I'm along for the ride now. It's been going on long enough. I've given in and I'm just learning to be a part of it, right? I like Rusev, Lana, and Lashley all enough to let's just do it, but um, digging it might be a step too far. <laughs> what about you? You sound like you're digging it, huh? It's dumb. I don't know. Yeah. It's I, Do I like this? I don't know. It's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just like entranced when Lana tries to speak. Like, I'm going to give you this ring so that you can, you can ask me to marry me. I think was the line that she used on Raw, right. which was and called she coached out. him on the on the proposal. Yeah, just a lot here. So, do I hate it? I don't. I don't dislike it as much as I used to, but I'm still kind of just baffled by it. Yeah. 
Uh, AJ Lee, she tweeted out the following regarding possibly appearing on WWE backstage alongside her husband, CM Punk. She says, no, thank you. I am very retired. I will, however, tag along for coffee and snacks next time I'm in town. Always down for snacks. Well, if she is retired and Punk is appearing, does that mean that he is not retired? Mm. Read between the lines here. That's the first thing I caught. Add it to our question present box. There it is. Um, and unfortunate, too. I know that uh, AJ Lee would be very valuable to whatever women's division she's in, but doesn't sound like she's interested. So. She had a really good run. I miss her. She was really good. Chelsea Green tweeted out the following regarding fans tweeting her or chanting at her about her fiancé, Zack Ryder. She says, pricks like you are the reason women with successful partners have to work 10 times harder to prove themselves. Google me. I didn't see Zack Ryder winning the Impact title for me. I didn't see Zack Ryder wrestling Penta for me. I didn't see him breaking bones instead of me. Boy, bye. I don't think people understand how disrespectful it is to undermine my hard work tweeting about my partner calling out his name or chant while I'm wrestling is just is doing just that. I've said this before, but clearly it needs to be said again. Stop. I love my man. I'm proud of him and proud to be with him, but our careers are separate. I've built my name by myself with my own blood, sweat, and tears. Any success I achieve will be because of me. And after she said all that, she posted a new Instagram photo of her with Zack Ryder at a Disney Christmas party. <laughs> Which I just, I don't know why that makes me laugh. A lot of good, look, a lot of good points here. I think that she's a victim right now of the fact that she's not getting really any television time with NXT. And so people yeah. don't really know much about her other than the relationship with Zack Ryder. I think this will change when she is given a chance to be more regularly on NXT television. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you feel her desperation there. I mean, unfortunately for her, right, Zack Ryder did have that kind of run that people know who he is. And not as many people know her, but I think it will balance out over time. Again, this brings up another point. I didn't see it on the run sheet here. But, of course, the broken Matt Hardy vignettes are back, right? Yes. You seen these? Yes. Yes. Right. And we got the reveal of broken Matt over the weekend. And so I sent out a tweet um, about how great like, these little – these five minute videos are fantastic, right? They're just like what we want from the broken universe, but they're kind of different now. They kind of have a new tone to them, a new cut. Um, and I tweeted about it. Um, then I realized that Rebby Hardy was the one who actually did the cut for like the actual editing. I saw it on the YouTube credits and I was like, Hey, great job. Right. And she kind of had the same reaction. She's like, and I also did this and that and the other. And I feel like there's this undercurrent of women wanting recognition for their hard work beyond the men they're associated with in the ring, which is a very strong counterpoint to the Lana storyline we were just discussing. Uh, I just think it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing that's happening in pro wrestling right now, which is the women with the men, they want to be noticed besides that association. Very understandably. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about here. Some of the, the highlights coming out of ROH final battle. We have a new ring of honor world champion PCO beat rush. Uh, dragon Lee defeated Shane Taylor to become the ROH TV champion. Jay lethal and Jonathan Gresham. They beat the Briscoes to become the ROH tag team champions and uh, post wrestling, uh, revealing that, uh, final battle was, uh, Colt Cabana's last show with ROH for the time being. Of course, I think he's had three runs. He was like an original with ROH. So, uh, we'll real quickly here, buzz through it. First of all, I'm very happy for PCO. I thought he should have had the title a while ago. Like I thought that the Matt Taven win at MSG would result in him like almost immediately losing it to PCO in right. Canada, which this is the right call. It's just not the, it's, it's the right call. Maybe the, it's not as right of right time as it could have been, I guess. If you're going to, yeah, about it, six, six months too late. It seems like for this company. Right. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. Big, but good Look, PCO, Dragon Lee, Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, all great champions. Obviously the company's kind of been like, 
in this weird funk, right? In the W in the pro wrestling bubble, especially with all the stuff that Joey Mercury put out there that I still, I mean, they haven't addressed any of it. You know, mm-hmm. they have, if anything, decided to actively stonewall addressing the allegations that, uh, that have come up from Joey Mercury. So a very weird time for ring of honor right now. Um, and, and you got Colt Cabana here leaving and I, I could see Colt. I don't see him in WWE. Uh, I see him. He's very happy in New Japan right now. He's tagging with Yano. They seem to be very funny and beloved there. But AEW, too, I think goes a debt to Colt. I don't think that they could have made that company without the work that he did with Pro Wrestling Tees. So, who knows? I think Colt's a bigger loss than people are recognizing here. ROH, if you remember last year, Final Battle was a big freaking deal for this company. Actually, I think it was one of the first podcasts that you and I actually did together, Nick, which is um, quite ironic. So, really great show. This weekend show was fine, but I actually came out of this weekend thinking more about what was happening over on NWA and, of course, uh, the reveal of Marty Skrull showing up. Um, You know, I think this is where ROH is now. They're kind of falling behind in the pecking order, obviously behind AEW. I think NWA is going to take over some of their momentum. Not to nothing, no disrespect to the talent here. PCO, great. You mentioned Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, all going to be great champions. But more interesting stuff is happening elsewhere without all the baggage that is now associated with this company. Yeah. Um, and lastly, here uh, with the saga of Sin Cara. Uh, Sin Cara returned to pro wrestling uh, following his WWE release last week at Triple A's Guerra de Titanes. Uh, Sin Cara ran out to make the save for Pagano. Then cut a promo saying AAA, which is home. There were graphics that I saw photos of that explicitly said Sin Cara. Now, Sin Cara <laughs> was released on December 8th and has a 90-day no-compete clause that will end on March 8th. Lucha Blanc saying WWE has the trademark for Sin Cara in Mexico. The Observer saying WWE did not give Arias the right to use the Sin Cara name since they own it. And WWE was open to releasing him as a talent because they thought he was not going to go to AEW uh, or WWE's view wouldn't help any promotion he went to anyway. Great. It was also reported that uh, Arias is close with Alberto Patron. He could go work with Combates America. Uh, and uh, Meltzer said that the situation with him and AAA using the Sin Cara name was being watched closely. Well, guess what? He's changed the name. He's no longer Sin Cara. His new name is Cinta de Ora which translates to Gold Ribbon, uh, at Lucha Blog, saying the name is of uh, Ciudad Juarez, who, uh, a legend who trained him, and has been, and he's been, that's why he's been wearing the gold ribbon on his mask, which I do remember here as a way to honor him in the last few years. So there you go. Big, you know, it's the Wild West right now. <laughs> this is the yeah, I, I'm, you know, happy for Sin Cara. I bet he's going to be happier going in AAA, or now Cinta de Oro. Happy for him at all. All that but I also think that in the near future, I don't keep up with AAA that much, and um, we should probably won't be talking about him very much going into the near future. No disrespect to him, man. Hey, everyone. I am here with former WCW president Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, well, first off, congratulations on the success of your podcast, 83 Weeks. Um, I'm a huge fan. I listen every week. Uh, how has that been going? You know, it's it's really been a blast. It's it's been a journey. Um, <clears throat> I had a podcast previously uh, before I hooked up with Conrad Thompson and, and enjoyed it. You know, learned a little bit about the podcast business and and it was fine. Uh, it was a good experience, but then had the opportunity to uh, launch into the podcast arena with Conrad Thompson and you know we hit the ground running and and are doing very well and I'm having a blast doing it so I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really entertaining lesson, and uh, one of my favorite. My, one of my favorite things that you do on the show is you really go, um, you know, as you say, in, into the weeds. You, you really go in depth on, you know, a lot of the business side of, of wrestling and, and during that era. Um, when, when you took over WCW, you've often talked about how Turner executives didn't really care much about the company. Uh, were they still um, paying attention to the ratings? Was that something that they were concerned about or was it just we have to air this. So, uh, that's what we're going to do. Well, no, I mean, look, going back to the, <clears throat> the beginning of WCW, if you read anything about Ted Turner, you know, Ted believed that, you know, two of the things that could really, two or three things that could really get eyeballs to his, you know, fledgling cable network, WTBS in Atlanta, the first superstation, was professional wrestling, baseball, and Andy Griffith. He, he believed that, you know, those three things would, would create a great foundation to, to build a viewing, viewing audience on. So ratings were always important. Um, uh, at, at one point when I first got the WCW, the consensus amongst many of the employees, talent included, was that, you know, Turner wasn't really as concerned about WCW making a profit as it was about providing good television content. That's not really true, but there was there was certainly an element, uh, I, I think, within the early WCW business plan that as long as it was drawing eyeballs, that was first and foremost, and profitability was probably second. Uh, that changed over the course of the years, and probably by the time I got there, uh, the financial situation was much more of a focus along with ratings. Um, so when you were there during that time, I'm sorry, this phone is just going off the hook, but, um, during your time there, there's a lot of talk right now about the demo, the 18 to 49 demo. Um, while you were there, were you mostly concerned about that demo or just the, the number overall, or were they, were they both, uh, equally important? It's really funny, you know, how the, the industry that writes and talks and discusses the professional wrestling business is really evolved over the last five or 10 years. And they're, they're doing their best and in, in many cases are doing a good job of really reporting the information that's important. And ratings has always been something that has, you know, driven the peripheral wrestling industry, you know, news sites, whether they be, you know, the, the pre-digital dirt sheets or, or now, you know, the, digital domain every Monday or excuse me, Tuesday morning, everybody's flocking to see what their ratings were for, for Monday night. Now we've got, you know, Thursday morning ratings come in and everybody's excited and talking about it online because they want to see, you know, who came out on top between AEW and NXT. And then of course you have the Saturday morning ratings, you know, coming in and talking about SmackDown. And I think for the most part, readers, wrestling fans in general, are probably more knowledgeable now. And, and because of that, the people that produce these online news sites uh, spend more time talking about actual relevant information. The 18 to 49-year-old demo has always been the cornerstone to professional wrestling and, and to the ad sales business. It's not until the last couple of years that that's become, you know, kind of a subject of or, or, or a focus 
within the wrestling news site. So, you know, the 18 to 49 was always the, the key demo. That's what you're looking for. That's your core audience. Once you break 49 years old, there's not a lot of advertisers that are looking for those demos. So the value of those demos trail significantly. Now, I can also tell you that <clears throat> kids demo was very important uh, to WCW early on because we believed that without a kid's demo, you can't really build a, a solid licensing and merchandising demo. That's proven not so much to be true, but at that time, the kid's demo was probably just as important to us in some ways as the 18 to 49-year-old males because the, the kid's demo was a much more valuable target for advertisers. They were willing to spend 15 or $20 a thousand for kids versus 10 or $12 a thousand for 18 to 49 year old males. And, and back then you would have fans or, or not fans, I guess, but um, the Nielsen subscribers, the, the people chosen to be a part of the survey, they would fill out a card, right? And, and then mail that card. And that was how the, the rating was calculated. Is that correct? I think that's part of it. <clears throat> the, and I, I, you know, I don't know for certain, so I don't want to sound like I know exactly what I'm talking about. But back in the day, you know, when I was very involved in the business side of the wrestling business, uh, there were, you know, there were um, boxes, like little black boxes that the Nielsen Company would um, distribute throughout, you know, various markets around the United States, and people would volunteer to um, have these, these, these boxes in their home attached to their television and the television and, and that box would track what viewers were watching along with uh, information that the subscriber or, or the volunteer in this case um, would submit to Nielsen. And they just kind of extrapolated all that information and came up with a national Nielsen rating. And to my knowledge, it's pretty much done the same way today. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, one misconception that people have is that streaming isn't counted as far as uh, like YouTube TV or Hulu TV, but that all is still counted. It's still part of the survey. It still works the same. So like my YouTube TV um, viewing does not count towards the rating, even though, you know, I, I, I'm opted into Nielsen on the back end if I wanted to be. But the actual Nielsen subscribers, uh their their streaming devices are all accounted for if they if they watch on those devices, correct? That's my understanding. I'm not as familiar with <clears throat> how Nielsen is tracking streaming as I was how they were tracking cable and network, but uh, that that is my understanding. Um, as far as the ratings today, uh, you know there is a a lot a lot of people are saying that ratings aren't as important today. And when half of the revenue coming in for WWE is television rights fees, it, it seems like it's more important than ever. Um, what do you think about TV ratings today? Because granted, viewing habits have changed. But, you know, as far as the importance uh, for the pro, pro wrestling business today. You know, I, I mean, I understand why people say that. Um, I understand why someone would say, well, ratings aren't as important today as they were 20 years ago. And that's true if your program is being distributed across a very successful streaming platform and has a lot of viewership. Um, but look, at the end of it all, 
if nobody's watching the product, whether they're watching it on streaming or they're watching it on cable television or they're watching it on network television, if they're not watching it on television, they're not going to arenas. If they're not watching it on television and they're not going to arenas, they're not buying merchandise. If they're not watching it on television, they're not going to arenas and they're not buying merchandise, more than likely they're not buying any pay-per-views. So for anyone to suggest that television ratings aren't important anymore, I think that's a pretty broad statement. I think it's arguable that ratings aren't quite as important today as they were five or ten years ago because of streaming. And as you pointed out, streaming does count within the Nielsen ratings number to some degree, I guess. Um, Like I said, I don't know how, how much or or how that's uh, that information is aggregated. But nonetheless, it's still it still comes down to if there's nobody watching your show, there's nobody going to your events. And that's that's the lifeblood of, of professional wrestling. Yeah, I think that's an important important point you hit on because in general, when you're seeing the television ratings declining double digits, you're also seeing the same kind of decline with live events and merchandise and, and those other areas. It's not like one is uh, inaccurate, you know, because um, if television ratings were down, everything else was up, then you, it would kind of seem like there was a, a disconnect. Um, when you were with WCW, and, and and Nitro was going head to head with Raw, and I know right now with AEW head to head with NXT, there's a lot of comparisons to that time. Uh, you know, you'd see the reports at certain weeks there'd be you know as many as 10 million people uh, between the two shows. Now, how much crossover do you think there was? Because the ratings are calculated every quarter hour, and at that 15 minute mark, if someone is it is it that if someone at that 15 minute mark is watching Nitro and switches to Raw, that one viewer gets counted for both shows? Is that how that used to work? No, my understanding is that the minute by minutes, you know, quarter hours are an average of the minute by minute um, compilation or, or computation is my understanding. Gotcha. Now, in, in terms of how, you know, how much crossover there was, I don't think anybody really knows. You know, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard anybody um, with any, you know, firsthand knowledge and research or experience being able to to figure that out. I think my gut tells me that I've always believed that the crossover uh, is probably closer to 25, 35% would be my guess. Uh, I, I always used to refer to it as duplication as opposed to crossover. But I think you may have in a given quarter hour, 25 or 30% of your people were, you know, bouncing back and forth during that quarter hour. I don't think it was any more than that, but even that's, you know, that's a significant number. And I, by the way, that's just my guesstimate. I, I have no research or no basis for knowing that it's more of a gut, gut instinct than anything else. But what, what's interesting is, you know, even if you take that number, let's say 8 million people and you reduce that by 2 million people, um, just to account for the um, the crossover or the duplication is, uh, of audience, you still got six million people, you know, watching wrestling, you know, on a Monday night. Whereas now, I don't think you've got six million people in total if you add up Raw, SmackDown, AEW, NXT together. I, I don't, I'm not sure you can crack six million. Maybe. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I was adding that up just uh, recently. And if you added up NXT, AEW, Raw, and Backstage, it, it doesn't equal what Raw was doing five years ago, uh, much less what you guys were doing in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and that's, you know, so when someone says, wow, ratings don't really matter anymore, look at the overall business. You know, WWE is a little bit tough to look at because they've got such a massive global footprint in the economics and the businesses, you know, it's different around the world than it is in domestic U.S. But if you look at the domestic U.S. part of their business model, their ratings have been getting softer and softer and softer and continue to do so, even with SmackDown. You know, I, I, I don't know what anybody's expectations were. I ne- never had any of those discussions with anybody. But I think generally most everyone was really anticipating that, you know, SmackDown moving over to Fox was going to kind of be the catalyst for WWE in particular, but the business in general to kind of see that Monday Night War revival kind of level to, you know, reinvigorate the business. And I think there was a, you know, all ships float with a higher tide kind of mentality and expectation going into SmackDown. But we've seen really just the opposite. Um, the, the numbers there are soft. I'm sure softer than, you know, Fox probably was hoping. And I know, or I don't know, I suspect quite a bit lower than WWE was suspecting. <clears throat> but it suggests to me that just you know fewer people are in general are watching the wrestling product today than they were you know back during the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, it is interesting because Fox is in about I think thirty percent more homes uh, than USA. Uh, so when football season's over, it's I mean it looks like we could be seeing you know Fox uh, you know SmackDown on Fox and Raw you know pretty pretty similar in terms of overall viewership. Um, when you heard about the moving to Fox, and I'm not asking about any internal, uh, you know, what people internally thought, but when you heard about it, what what were your expectations as far as as you know the audience that we'd kind of be seeing with SmackDown, and also um, kind of same thing with for AEW when you heard about that launching, uh, where where did you kind of see the, uh, them starting up at, and and where do you think they would end up where you know around this you know at this time after ten weeks. You know, I've been pretty honest about this. Uh, I, you know, Conrad Thompson and I were talking about this on 83 weeks a couple of weeks ago. And he and I both compared notes, you know, prior to the debut or the premiere, I should say, of a- AEW on, on TNT. And, you know, I asked Conrad, I said, okay, what do you think they're going to deliver in terms of viewers? And he gave me a number and I gave him my number. And we were really, really close. You know, we were probably within 50,000 people of each other and i really didn't expect aew to do much better than five or six hundred thousand viewers on their premiere episode simply because there's other than chris jericho and you know cody rhodes and you know the bucks there's not a lot of nationally known kind of branded talent on that show they're very popular in the indie scene and they're you know strong in social media and so forth but i underestimated that um substantially you know and they came in at 1.4 million you know on their premiere episode so they aew has far exceeded my expectations and, and i'm glad to be able to say that uh smackdown you know when i first heard about it and this was before i had any conversations about going over there uh my first thought i think i've articulated this in a couple of different interviews early on when it was first announced that you know friday night's a that's a bad time I, 
It's a bad time of the week for TV for wrestling fans. I mean, it's a bad night for TV anyway. But I think wrestling fans in particular, especially if you're looking to that 18 to 49 year old demo, you know, now I'm outside of that demo <laughs> at this point in my life. Yes, am I? Yeah. But but while I lived in that 18 to 49 year old demo, the last place you could possibly find me on a Friday night was home watching television. And for the better part of that demo, too. I mean, my wife and I just, and even now, you know, it's kind of a, you know, Friday nights and night we go out to eat and catch a movie or go out for a cocktail or, you know, whatever we're going to do, we do it on Friday nights. So I think that's pretty true across the board. So my first concern, or not concern, but my first, you know, red flag, I guess, was, wow, they picked a hell of a night especially if your core audience is 18 to 49, that's number one. And number two, and I think they're kind of connected, um, you know, Friday nights, once the weather gets warm and the hut level, hut meaning households using television, uh, once the hut level drops, I think by spring and summer, SmackDown's going to have a real challenge. That That's going to make Friday nights even tougher than they are right now. Now, could, could you see that being moved to a different night, or do they seem pretty, uh, you know, pot committed with keeping SmackDown on Fridays? You know, I, I had zero conversations with any of the executives at Fox about anything remotely close to the subject. Certainly didn't have any conversations with anybody at WWE on it. My, my gut, and it's just my opinion or my instinct, is highly unlikely. I don't, I don't see Fox giving up a two-hour primetime piece of real estate Monday through Thursday to accommodate wrestling. I think Friday night they probably looked at it and said, look, it's a soft night for viewers across the board because it's Friday night. You know, let the, I'm sure that Fox, <clears throat> in their research, realized how loyal the wrestling audience is, and they are. You know, probably other than, you know, NASCAR fans, I think, you know, wrestling fans are probably the most loyal audience out there. And they'll find you wherever you are. They will find you. And I'm sure that Fox looked at that and thought, you know what, on a Friday night, you know, we could use a couple million, two, three million viewers, you know, watching wrestling, even if it's a little bit of a soft product in terms of advertising. So we'll see. You know, they're they're you know SmackDown's hovering in that 2.5 probably million range right now on the average since since I left, and let's see how that holds up during the spring, particularly in the early summer, and how Fox reacts to that, WWE reacts to that. Yeah, on the flip side, um, you had mentioned your predictions for AEW. Even what they're doing right now is has far surpassed what you were originally expecting them to do, at least for the the premiere. Uh, but they are down quite a bit. And, and granted, it is very early. But um, when I look at Nitro, and granted, it's a completely different era. Ratings were done differently back then. But you did do a 2.5 rating for your premiere, if I'm not mistaken. And then that was unopposed. The following week opposed, uh, you did 2.4, uh, not 2.5 million, sorry, a 2.5 rating. The following week, it was a 2.4. So you barely dropped, even though you were opposed by Raw the second week. Ten weeks later, you were still in that you know two point five range. Sometimes it's down to two, you know around a one point nine two point zero. Um, you know a lot of fans that you got 
people on both sides some you know some fans are saying hey they're still you know they're doing great uh it's down a lot from the premiere but they're still doing well they're still doing well in the demo others pointing out they're down 40 percent from the premiere 50 53 percent in the demo with all the experience you've had uh with dealing with television wrestling ratings uh is this something to be concerned about yet or is everyone just looking into this way too soon Oh, I don't think they're looking into it way too soon. I think there's a lot of people talking about, you know, their perspective on the ratings and what it means and if someone's doing well or not doing well. And none of those people happen to be, you know, representatives of the network that's that's living or dying by their ability to sell advertising within that show. And while, you know, I don't mean anything I'm about to say, that it's going to come off being critical or a little bit of a left-handed shot i don't mean it to be but you look at nxt right now and aew and yes they're going head to head but both of those shows are only delivering numbers that were embarrassing to tna just a couple years ago i don't know how you could look at those numbers and not be concerned if they're not growing i mean it's it's a television industry if you're if you're not building your audience you're you're killing your audience you're dying you're either growing or dying there's no you know when you're only delivering when you're delivering under a million viewers in, in a in a product that is for the most part a tough sell to the advertising world anyway and now you've got less than a million viewers on a week to week basis that's not that's not a big piece of business for a television network, especially for prime time when they could run a rerun and probably have an easier time selling ads and get as much money for it as they are spending on, you know, a live action wrestling event. So I, I, you know, I, I, I think people are probably, you know, saying the right things and, and making the right statements to the press and, you know, all of that. But if, if I was only delivering 800,000 viewers in prime time and my numbers weren't showing signs of growing, even incrementally, if, if you're growing two or 3% a week, that's okay. But if you're, if you're not, and you're, you know, you're for the most part a flat line or worse, you're losing audience. You know, that if you're not, if you're not paying attention to that red flag, you're just, you're going to, you're going to find an iceberg sooner or later. Yeah, and I know I know you're not a big fan of Dave Meltzer, but he has talked about how um, the .32 rating they did last week is still good, uh, but it does seem like it, it's something you pointed out many times uh, on your podcast that as a wrestling show, because advertisers stay away from wrestling, you've got to far surpass good, right? Uh, for for that demo, you gotta you gotta kind of be uh, growing and and above and above what the other shows do to to bring in those advertising dollars. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, you know, where Dave gains his perspective that a point three two is not a bad number or a good number, but um it again it all comes down to advertising. Look, it's always about the buck. And not only is advertising generally across the boards a tougher sell because a lot of your you know, your especially your higher profile, you know, advertisers, your your automotive, you know, cars, trucks, uh alcohol, um the ads that really sell for the most money, those advertisers don't want anything to do with wrestling. So you're kind of narrowing your advertiser market. And the minute you be able to, the minute you end up doing that, 
you end up lowering lowering your costs because you're 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 selling to a more finite kind of a community with a lower budget. So again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. If you're deli- if you're delivering under a million viewers a week and you're doing so in a a market that generally is not advertising friendly. Oh, and let's remember this. If you are an advertiser and you are willing to place your, your, your ads within professional wrestling, you've got five hours of prime time on USA Network and Fox, you know, SmackDown and Fox, to place those dollars in. Why would you choose to place them in two smaller uh, shows, NXT and AEW, with talent that, for the most part, the advertising community doesn't even know or acknowledge? So it's 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 a double whammy. It's a tough spot. I'm not saying that they're not going to succeed. I think they probably will eventually in the long term if they've got a long-range business plan, if, if they've got their eyes on three years from now or five years from now, I think they're going to be fine. But if anybody is kind of planning on a month-to-month or, or a year-to-year kind of uh, existence based on the numbers that AEW is is putting out there now, or, as well as NXT, I think. I think you're, I think you're taking your eye off the ball because I don't, I don't think your future is that bright, unless you're, unless you're looking at a long-term plan, right? And um, I'm not sure what you use to watch TV. Uh, myself, I use YouTube TV and, and streaming, um, but nowadays with everything, you know, CBS now has their own uh, streaming service. Fox has their own streaming service. My daughters, they're eight and ten. There's no way I could see them when they're older getting a a giant dish installed in their backyard and and receivers on each of their TVs. With cable and satellite, do you see see them even... uh, Where do you see them in 10, 15 years from now? I mean, do you see them being around or something completely different, switching to streaming? Um, Where do you see that going? You know, I'm not an expert in the industry. And again, I'm just (laughs) giving you my personal opinion as a consumer. Um, and someone who, you know, probably an average consumer who probably pays a little bit more attention to, you know, the, the business of the television business than your average viewer. But I, I think that television five years from now is going to be in the same category as Blockbuster. Wow. Remember when everybody had one? <laughs> remember when there was a Blockbuster at every street corner? Right. Or, or you know record shops in the malls, you know, now I'm really dating myself, but <laughs> Sam goodies. You know, the, the way, you know, the way people um, consume music, the way people consume entertainment has evolved so rapidly over the last five years, over the last three years, really. Uh, I mean, Martin Scorsese is now releasing, you know, one of the best films of the year, probably on Netflix. Martin Scorsese. Right. I mean, come on. Um, you would have never imagined that a couple of years ago. And and now it's happening. So I think, yeah, to answer your question, I, I think television as we know it today is going to be, uh, it's going to go by the wayside. I think there are always going to be some kind of a big monitor on the wall. But what's feeding that monitor, I think, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, is going to look a lot different than it does today. And, and with that, um, I, I did want to ask as well about uh, if wrestling were to move to something like a streaming service, uh, like let's say 
a Fox streaming service and, and, and the flipping through channels is completely dead. How do people find wrestling uh, going forward? Is it just the internet? Um, you know, uh, how, how do people stumble upon an AEW or a WWE? Well, I think people stumble upon an AEW, you know, 1.4 million of them, uh, in large part because of the social media presence that AEW cultivated over, you know, a period of a couple of years before the launch of AEW with their YouTube videos. And, you know, so many of the, you know, the great talents that are part of AEW were a big part of the independent scene. And as such, were known to the internet wrestling community who was, you know, cheering AEW on from the very beginning. So I, I, I think social media will make up for a lot of, uh, general awareness that one might lose uh, by going from television to, to streaming. But let's face it, you know, even, even just being on television isn't what it used to be anymore. You could just be on television and without a ton of promotion, or if you're not in a primetime spot adjacent to some really hot programming, you have a hell of a time making any noise today. And it, it's, it's a real challenge. Right. And, and thanks so much for taking the time. I, I just have a few more questions for you. Um, Kind of going real quick back to Nielsen ratings, you have produced a lot of other shows outside of wrestling. Uh, you've been in this field a long time. Do television executives take anything else into effect <coughs> right now other than television ratings when it comes to canceling a show or keeping it? Uh, if a show is has got a good buzz but the ratings are ter- terrible, normally you still see it getting canceled. Have, in your experiences, have you seen... Uh, executives keep a show if the if the ratings aren't doing well um i mean i haven't i'm sure it has happened um as as well as we've seen you know a, a television series that's been on one network for a period of time get canceled and then find its way to another network and have a great success um so i'm, I'm sure it is ha- has happened it hasn't happened to me I wasn't fortunate enough to have a show on the air that wasn't getting good ratings, but somebody said, no, nah, let's keep it anyway. And I, but I'm sure it happens for other reasons. Um, not sure what they would be. And I don't have any examples of one, but I'm, I'm guessing it probably happens. Yeah. And uh, with AEW, with, with the ratings having dipped, what can you see them doing having watched their product? I know uh, to me, Watching that versus NXT personally, I, AEW just looks major league to me. NXT with the small, the dark lighting just doesn't look as major league. I feel like AEW has the look, but do you feel like anything is missing from the equation that's causing it to not grow and, and causing you know a gradual dip so far? I agree with you on the overall look um, to NXT as it compares to AEW. The first time I watched AEW. I was asked by someone who will remain nameless for the purpose of this conversation. Somebody asked me the next day, so what did you think of AEW? And I said, I thought it looked great. I thought the the most important character in the entire show was the audience because the lighting director, who I think is Jeff Bornstein, who used to work for me, made sure that that audience was a part of the show. And when you have a live action audience who's engaged in the product and feel like they're a part of the show, that's an energy that that's worth a lot because it translates. It, it, it translates to the viewer watching at home. It makes the viewer believe while they may be sitting in the comfort of their living room, having a pizza and a beer while they're watching television, 
they feel like, wow, I'm actually watching something that's important because that's that that sense is validated by the people's reaction that they're seeing on television. Flip that over to a small, dark, you know, studio type of venue, much like TNA had uh, or much like I had when I used to produce our syndicated shows at the Disney MGM studios. You've got a small, sterile audience and your viewer home is watching that and it just doesn't feel like it has any, it doesn't feel valid. It just doesn't feel important. And I use this example all the time. You know, take the best WrestleMania match, in your opinion, in WWE history, regardless of what it is. Now put that match in a high school gym in front of 120 people. Is it going to feel like the same match? Is it going to leave the same impression on the viewer sitting at home? Are you going to watch that and go, holy crap, I can't wait till next year. I want to go to WrestleMania Live next year. It won't. The live the, the live part of the crowd is so important, and, and I don't see how NXT can possibly begin to compete um, long-term if both companies stay in business long-term, how NXT is going to be able to survive just producing the show in a in a studio environment. I And I, I know that because I did it. I did it with WCW, although it wasn't my number one show or even my number two show or even my number three show. It was a, it was our syndicated show, which had much less significance to us from a revenue perspective. So the smaller audience really didn't bother me quite as much, but the small audience, when we produced our live shows at center stage used to drive me crazy. So one of the reasons I wanted to get out of there, that's one of the reasons why we ended up, you know, taking Nitro on the road long after we debuted it in a shopping mall because we couldn't attract, you know, an audience. We had to build up to that. We had to build from two or 300 people attending our television tapings, even our, our TBS tapings, and build up to the point where we had fifteen or 20,000 people coming a couple of years later. But it's it's slow. But in terms of the television product, I think AEW's a winner hands down. Sorry, I'm having a little problem with my mic here. But uh, my final question is, uh, when I interviewed you, I think it was like a year and a half ago, I, I, I had asked you uh, how different wrestling would be today if Scott Hall and Kevin Nash uh, ended up re-signing with WWE and didn't go to WCW back in, in 96. Uh, this week it was announced that the NWA is going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, just talk real quick about just how how much of an influence the that idea, that angle... Uh, just has made, I, I know you don't, probably don't want to pat yourself on the back too much, but just the influence that storyline, that angle, and that group has had on wrestling today. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not objective, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit that right off the bat, but I'm also going to say I think it's fair for any reasonable person who's really paying attention and not kind of blindsided by um, – you know, their passion for one brand or, or another or personality in another. I think it's safe to say that had it not been for the NWO, which brought the whole Monday Night War really to its peak, it the, the NWO angle changed the wrestling industry more than anything that's happened since the very first WrestleMania. And to suggest otherwise... I think is being foolish 
there would not, had there not been an NWO, had there not been the NWRs, there would not have been an attitude era. It would have never happened. And had none of the above happened, I doubt that the WWE would have been able to become a public company. And had the WWE not become a public company, I don't think they'd be the powerhouse they are today. So who knows where the wrestling business would be had it not been for the NWO. And I know that sounds like a stretch, but, you know, I think anybody, anybody who would sit down and objectively look at, okay, where was the wrestling industry as a whole, not just WWE, but where was the industry as a whole, you know, in the decade leading up to the, the launch of the NWO? Okay, where has the industry been for the last 10 years in comparison to that? You know, and I, I think if you look at it objectively, had it not been for the NWO, we wouldn't be seeing the success that we're seeing across the boards today. I really believe that. And it really comes down to the Monday Night Wars. The Monday Night Wars rose, you know, the industry, the category, the genre to, to, to its peak in terms of mainstream awareness and, and buy-in. And had it not been for that moment, or that period of time, uh, we wouldn't be watching what we're watching today. Absolutely. Before that angle, you guys were head to head for a while. And it was, you know, it was, you guys would trade victories here and there, but it really took off uh, once the NWO angle was introduced. And I, I say it all the time on our podcast that if I had to pick one angle that changed wrestling, uh, you know, since I've been watching, uh, that definitely would be it. Um and, and Sean Waltman, he, he had mentioned that he was bummed that you weren't being inducted into the Hall of Fame with the NWO and, and the big show, uh, who technically was in the NWO before Waltman was. Um, Diamond Dallas Page and myself were discussing it a couple weeks ago, how you definitely, definitely feel like you should be in the Hall of Fame. Were you, uh, were you ever contacted about the NWO being inducted or, or possibly being inducted with them? No, no. I, I, in fact, I was surprised they announced it this early. I thought it usually happened a little bit later in the year, but uh, no, I hadn't spoken to anybody about it. I didn't even know it until I read it, you know, online the next day. Gotcha. Well, um, Eric, this was uh, I really appreciate it. I, I, I'm a numbers guy. I find this stuff fascinating. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, 83 weeks uh, every week with Conrad Thompson is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, you. I urge all our listeners to, if they haven't already, subscribe to it and check it out. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to mention before uh, we wrap this up? No, I just hope uh, everybody has a great uh, holiday season and stay safe. Enjoy your families and uh, listen to 83 Weeks every Monday on Westwood One. 80s Wrestling Con Part 2 continues right here in Freeholder, Jersey. I play America, the legendary Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi with us right now. And, and Brawler, this event is so awesome. How cool is it to see some of your colleagues, your peers, and the fans? I mean, I think this is awesome for the Brooklyn Brawler to see all the 80s guys. And he wrestled. He wrestled every single one of these people at the convention. Everyone. And the Brawler, this man does not take any prisoners. So watch out for him here. Now... When you look back on your career, shoot it to a straight, your famous moment. What was your classic moment? My classic moment? Probably wrestling Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden for the World Wrestling Federation Championship with Triple H in China on the outside. Money. Total money by the brawler. And, you know, I remember you coming out and jumping the Red Rooster. I believe it was at WrestleMania. And 
you, you took it to him, Bobby Heenan versus a rooster, and you really took him out. And I, I, that was so shattering to me, even to this day. It was kind of scary. Well, Bobby Heenan needed my help, but I was right there, and I put that red rooster in his place. <laughs> in his place forever. Last quick question here at 80s Wrestling Con. We got some fans waiting to come and see you. Is this, what are you telling the fans if they don't come out here? What are you going to tell them? If you don't come out to this 80s Wrestling Con, you are missing a great experience. Brooklyn Brawler, I'm staying out of his way. Thank you so much. Brooklyn Brawler right here, 80s Wrestling Con, part two. Thank you, Michael, for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news of the day. Thank you to Raj and Eric and to Brooklyn Brawler and Andy Malnoski. A hot first Winkley of the week, and we got a lot more here to go uh, in this week. Tomorrow on the show, come on back. We are going to be chatting with MLW and AEW's Jimmy Havoc. Uh, Jimmy is a hard interview to get. He's notoriously a little private. Uh, we talk all about his work in MLW. We talk about barbed wire. We talk about deathmatch wrestling. I do get him to talk about the Excalibur incident from Full Gear Weekend, which uh, he didn't seem thrilled that I brought up at first, but then went on to like talk a whole bunch about it. And uh, so it's a great interview. I know you guys are going to like it. And also tomorrow on the show, uh, we're going to be bringing back the Blue Meanie who I had a chance to catch up with at StarCast. So Jimmy Havoc, the Blue Meanie, here on tomorrow's Winkly. And as a reminder, next week, all week long on the Winkly, I'm going to be airing our biggest, best, most fun interviews of 2019. My 12 favorite uh, are going to be on the shows next week. And if you want to let me know what interviews you thought were the best of 2019, again, I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Let me know uh, what you think the interviews should be. Michael, uh, oh yeah, and if you like this show, uh, go over to iTunes, five-star ratings, nice comments, always appreciate it. Michael, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? You know, we keep it real simple. I'm taking a taking the weekend off from Wrestling Inc. I'm doing a little traveling for myself for the holidays. So I um, won't we'll be with you guys for a couple of weeks here, but just want to wish everybody, if I don't talk to you before then, a very Merry Christmas and safe travels. But if you do want to keep up with me, um, hit me up. I am on Twitter at The Real Wiseman. That's right. And uh, again, I said I'm at Wink Rebel. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.